Good morning. We're learning a a four-step approach that enables us to draw closer to God. Um, Begins with, I look at me. Then you look at me. Then you speak to me. And then I speak to you. I look at me. James says, what causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from your desires that battle within you? And if you want to look at these passages, I included an outline of all four steps. It's on the back side of the sheet that gives today's message. If you look on the back side, um, there's text and, and some bullet points that try to capture these, these four steps. Um, where I look at me, and again, looking at what James says, um, we talked about the fact that James is unique. He's one of those people that had to figure out how in the world could I live with Jesus for as many years as I lived with him and I came up clueless relative to the fact that he was God. So he has to wrestle with that. Paul had to wrestle with the same thing. And so Paul and James, they come up with some type of understanding of what's happening inside. And they had to look at what was inside because I think they wanted to wrestle with how in the world could that have happened. And this is, I think, based on some of James' reflections, what he says, what causes fights and quarrels among you? Maybe he was thinking of some of the fights and quarrels he had with Jesus. Anger he he directed at him. Don't they come from your desires that battle within you? You want something, but don't get it. You kill and covet, but you cannot have what you want. You quarrel and fight. What do you think Scripture says without reason? That the Spirit He caused to live in us Envies intensely. We talked about intense envy the first week, and we described Cain and Abel. And if they offer their offerings to God, right then, when God says, I choose Abel, and if we stop action, we say, okay, Cain, how do you feel right now, Cain? <laughs> he says, I am, I want my offering to be accepted. Let's let that stew a little bit. Let's let him sit there. Think about the fact that Abel's offering was accepted and his wasn't. What's going to happen is sinful envy is going to turn to infected envy. Now it's not just having what Abel has. It's wanting to remove Abel for having it. That's infected envy. Another word for it is contempt. Contempt. And the contempt can be directed inward. I don't have what I want because I'm a bad person. I'm a contemptuous person. Or it can be directed outward. I don't have what I want because they are contemptible people. Um, Do you think Scripture says without reason that the spirit he caused to live in us envies intensely? We have been given a spirit that tends to need to direct blame at someone. And when we're doing that, it's hardwired. It's instinctive. It's not pleasant. Not pleasant. It's difficult. We're going to blame somebody. We're going to be angry at somebody when we don't have what we want, and that's going to lead to conflict. We have desires that war within us. It'd be nice if we only had one set of desires. 
when those desires entered our mind, all other desires would bow to them, but that's not the way we are. We have disparate desires that are at war in our head, and one set of desires comes and says, Tan hut! And the other desires say, no way! No, no chance! And that's what it is, and it creates a battle. The internal battle leads to the external battle. Here's what James says. What causes fights who quarrels among you? You know what it comes from, really? It's not really about you and that person. It's about the desires that battle within you. God places that, and we get stuck then, in the craving, contempt, and conflict whirlpool. Craving, contempt, conflict. Craving, contempt, conflict. We get stuck in it. Stuck in it. How many have experienced the craving, contempt, conflict whirlpool? I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand, because the fact is, if you are looking at you and seeing what's in you, every single one of you understands this whirlpool and gets caught in it. We don't have the insight that James had, so all of us can't see ourselves clearly. James could, and he speaks for all of us. Um, I look at me, you look at me, Hebrews Everything is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of him to whom we must give account. Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has gone through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. We do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet was without sin. He is able to deal gently with those who are ignorant and are going astray, since he himself is subject to weaknesses. So I look at me, and then you look at me, and you see me. Nothing in all creation is hidden from your sight. Everything is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of him to whom we must give account. God sees me. He sees the craving, the contempt, the conflict. He sees the whirlpool. He understands why it exists. He put the spirit in me that, that leads me in that direction. And therefore, as we'll say, when we talk to God, it's let's be honest with him. To say, you know, God, I love everything you've given me. Yeah, we love the things you've given me, but we wish you'd give us more. You say, no, I don't. Yes, you do. Yeah, you do. And we go and we turn to God, and it's hard for some of us to be honest with him. But he already knows what's happening. He sees you. And not just sees you, he sympathizes with you. Jesus entered a body. And what that means, Jesus felt the pull of the whirlpool. He never got stuck in it. He gets it, though. He gets it. He would not say, I, I just don't get you. I, I really just don't. I give you all these things. I give you a house. I give you a family. I give you this and that. And you have no more respect for me than to be want more. <clears throat> He'd never do that because he understands. Even in the Garden of Eden, the seed of envy grows in the Garden of Eden in a perfect place. They wanted more. By the way, you don't live in the Garden of Eden. And if envy sprung up in that place, it's going to spring up in your house and in your mind. And God sees and he sympathizes. And the surprising thing, he deals gently. He deals gently. It says that he, a high priest, is able to deal gently with those who are ignorant and are going astray since he himself is subject to weakness. Jesus never sinned, but he felt the pull. And that's why in your spinning, when you're kind of going around and around and you're kind of looking up and it's like trying to do this, 
says, I see you. I sympathize with you. And I deal gently with you. So, step one is I look at me. Then, you look at me. And I think of him looking. And that's what he thinks says. I think he says, I see you. I see you. I sympathize with you. I understand. I deal gently with you. His eyes aren't bugging out. He's not biting his fingernails. He's not walking around in heaven saying, I don't know what I'm going to do with these people. He's relaxed. He's calm. He's not threatened. He's not disillusioned. Not discouraged. I look at me. You look at me. Um, you speak to me. It says a couple things. Psalm 46, be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. We've talked about there's a Hebrew word. We're going to learn two words, by the way. You learned one last week. It was Hebrew. You're going to learn a Greek word this, this week. Isn't that a wonderful thing? You're going to learn Greek and Hebrew. Hebrew first. The Hebrew word is Rapha. And anybody remember what Rapha looks like? What does Rapha look like if you were to depict it by your behavior? Yeah, some of you are doing it. Some of you are rebellious. I tell you, you put your hands to your side. No, I'm not going to do that. <laughs> Craving, contempting conflict. That's we have. We have. I was just kidding. Anyways, Rapha. This is Rapha. Let your arms hang limp at your side. This is what God is saying in the midst of social and natural catastrophe. Rafa, be still. Let your arms hang limp at your side. When we don't have what we want to have, and we don't do what we want to do, and we don't feel what we want to feel, this is a very unnatural pose. When we don't have what we want to have, do what we want to do, and feel what we want to feel, those emotions and the emotions that come with it are like Hot Wheels cars. You know, remember Hot Wheels cars? You, you zing them, you zing, 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 then you put them down and they just sit there, right? Just stay still. No, they don't. It's it's a propulsion thing. They They take off. That's what emotions are like. When an emotion hits your mind, it's like a Hot Wheels car. And it's going to tell you, don't just sit there, do something. You don't have what you want to have, you don't do what you want to do, and you don't feel what you want to feel. Don't just sit there, do something. Change the way you think, or change the way they act. Change your will, or change their won't, but do something. And and God says, there might be some things that you're going to have to do, but what he says is first, don't just do something, sit there. Don't just do something. Sit there. Be still. Put away the phone for a second. You're going to use it. (coughs) Put away the computer. Set aside the to-do list. Be still. Let your arms hang limp at your side. And don't empty your mind. That's Eastern mysticism. Empty your mind. Don't do that. Introduce something into your mind. God's words. Let him speak to you. And if God speaks to you, what would he say? 
he says is, I'm God. He wants us to think about who he is, and being God, I will be exalted. He says, be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. Exalted means high up. What God's saying, by the way, I'm going to come out on top. And my purposes will be accomplished. So I know that your to-do list is not complete, but I just so you know, I am God. And what I want to tell you is I will be exalted. And that just doesn't mean that I'll get what I want because I am good. And if I get what I want, you get what you want. God is a provider and a protector. And when we are aware of unmet needs, sometimes our prayers are worrying out loud. We think of what we don't have and we just fire prayers up, but we really don't look at who we're talking to. And what God wants us to do is is see him looking at us. I see you. I sympathize and I deal gently with you. And what he says is, be still. I am God. And I'm going to be exalted. And I will be Helios. It says, I will forgive their wickedness and remember their sins no more. In fact, you learn two Greek words. Helios is another one. And it says, I will forgive their wickedness in the NIV. But that's not as accurate a translation. It's not an accurate translation. Because what it says is not I and then give a verb. It says, I will be. And then it gives this word, Helios. Helios means gracious, favorable, Benevolent, kind, and cheerful. Benevolent, gracious, favorable, kind, cheerful. Now, look at what he says there. I will be Helios to your, what does it say? Unrighteousness says. You know what that's indicating? That God will be Helios to our sins. So here's what it's indicating and what God's saying. You will not see God going, oh, there you are. There you are. I like it when you do the things I ask you to do. And then you do something he doesn't want you to do. Instinctively, we think of what he does is, and I I show you my my dad's thing. Disgusted. We think that God sees that thing and he's disgusted with us. And what God says is, no, I will be Helios. I will be Helios, non-reactive. You get the smile, you get his regard, and then you don't do that thing. You lose your temper. You, you look at that thing online. And if you look at God, it's hard for us to do. We instinctively shy, but if you look at him, what he says, if you're seeing him correctly, he's Helios. I will be Helios to your unrighteousness. That's the new covenant. That's what Jesus came to inaugurate. This is the new covenant in my blood. And that's what God tells us. That's how he responds to us. Um, He says, never will I leave you. Never will I forsake you. Some of you are going to put your boat in the water. Never will I leave you. The word for leave is the word untie. God will never untie you or he will never cast you adrift. Never will I forsake you. It is the opposite of Semper Fi. In the field of battle, a Marine says Semper Fi. They will never leave another Marine on the field of combat alone. God says Semper Fi. I will never cast you adrift. I will never leave you behind. So this is what he says. I look at me. 
craving contempt conflict. You look at me. You see me. You sympathize with me. You deal gently with me. You speak to me. Be still. Be still. I am God. I will be exalted. I will be Helios. Never will I leave you. Never will I forsake you. You're in good hands. In all things, God works for the good. Those who love him are called to point to his purpose. Just so you don't misunderstand, and we're going to go on to, I speak. You look at me, you speak to me, I speak to you. Talk about I speak to you. I speak to you. God doesn't say these things to shut you up. So it's possible. Some of us change our thoughts in order to shut ourselves up. Some of us exert our influence externally and change people's decisions. Some of us do that. We stamp the external world. Some of us stamp the internal world. And we change the way we think in order to line up what we want with what we have. And therefore, we kind of hopefully slow down the whirlpool. Um, And we would then say, well, if I really believed all these things... I wouldn't ask God for anything, right? I would just assume that I'm supposed to be thankful and I'm supposed to always be grateful and I'm never supposed to really tell him honestly what I want. That's not that's not what he says. God wants us to speak freely with him. What it says, and now turn on the other side of the sheet, I speak to you. We can speak freely with God because he is gentle. This was one of the first Maybe not the first, but if there's a passage in Scripture, it's kind of long. If some of you can commit Scripture to memory, I would recommend this passage. It says some things about God and Jesus and who he is and who we are and who he wants that relative to this short place, I think, is unrivaled. gives us a very clear picture. Listen to what it says. The Word of God is living and active sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. Nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. Everything is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of him to whom we must give account. Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has gone through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses. But we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet was without sin. Let us therefore approach the throne of grace with confidence, so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. Every high priest is selected from among men and is appointed to represent them in matters related to God to offer gifts and sacrifices for sins. He is able to deal gently with those who are ignorant and are going astray since he himself is subject to weakness. It talks about a time of need. What's a time of need? It's when you don't have what you want to have, you don't do what you want to do, you don't feel what you want to feel. Times of need are characterized by those things. You don't have what you want to have. You have been deprived of something good or given something bad. It's a time of need. A time of need is when you don't do what you want to do. You want to do this, you do that. 
you don't want to do that, you do this. And you don't feel what you want to feel. You're feeling feelings that are not good feelings to feel. You're feeling fearful or anxious. It's a time of need. That's what happens in a time of need. The natural tendency when we are in a time of need, you know what the natural tendency would be? What James says about it? In a time of need, what tends to happen? Craving, I want this. Contempt, I'm not getting it. Conflict, it's your fault. Craving, I want this. Contempt, conflict, craving, contempt, conflict. That's a time of need. It spins us into ourselves, into a negative mindset. God gives mercy and grace to help us in our time of need. What is the antidote for craving, contempt, and conflict? It is mercy and grace. When God is going to insert and cause us to be less craving, less contemptuous, less conflicted. What he's going to do, he's going to send very powerful influences towards us. And they are not judgment, and it is not anger. It is mercy and grace. When we're in that place, we tend to think we need to be punished. I need a punch in the nose, as somebody said once. I don't want to go to this church, I want to go to that church, because sometimes I need a good punch in the nose. No, you don't. You're battling with craving, contempt, and conflict. The last thing you need is a punch in the nose. You're already punching yourself in the nose or somebody else in the nose. That's what we do. Some of us punch ourselves in the nose. Some of us punch other people in the nose. We don't need either. What we need is mercy and grace. How do you get that? We're told to approach the throne of grace with confidence. Here's the word. Confidence is a really important word. In Greek, it's the word parousia. We learn a couple words. Rapha, that's Hebrew. It means be still. Helios is Greek. It describes God's attitude towards you. Graceful, cheerful, benevolent, kind, favorable. Here's another one. Parousia. Parousia. It's translated confidence, but I want to let you know specifically what kind of confidence this is. It's a very particular kind of confidence. What it describes, it means to speak freely. The freedom to say all. That's the word. If you are a Roman citizen and there is a public forum and you're a citizen, you have the right of parousia. And if I'm speaking about an issue about the Roman Senate, if you have parousia, you can say, oh, excuse me, you know what, I don't understand exactly what you're saying. And you don't have to be afraid because you're a Roman citizen. You have parousia, the right to speak. If you speak up but are not you don't have parousia, you're going to be whisked out of there. It's not going to be pleasant. Uh, the right to speak was freely as part of Roman citizenship. This is what God commands us to do. Let us approach the throne of grace with parousia. You know what that means? We are not just to come into God's presence. We are to come into God's presence and speak freely with him. Honestly, open our heart to him, and not because we feel like it, because that's what he commands us to do. Approach the throne of grace with parousia. That's a command. Commands us to speak freely with him, to speak 
honestly and open. Some of us, when we were taught to pray to God, were taught to pray specific words, and those words are good. There's some good prayers. Don't restrict your prayers to God to formula prayers. They don't capture all the things that are reflective of where you are. If you're going to speak honestly with him, you're going to have to reflect the fact that you don't just want one thing, if you're being honest. If you're honest with God, what you're going to say is, God, I didn't want to do that thing. I didn't want to blow them up. And you know what the other thing is, God? Yeah, I did want to. Yeah, I did want to. <coughs> See, we don't have the luxury of wanting one thing. And when we come to God, some of us pretend. God, I only want your will. That's a lie. That's a lie. And he knows it is. You want his, you want your will too, and your will and his will don't always line up. Why don't we just be honest about that? You know what, God? I both want to be grateful and don't. I want to be thankful and don't. I want to be this and that. I want to be that and this. But God says, speak freely with me. I already know it. This is a relationship. It's not slave-master. This is son, daughter, and father. Be open. That's what he says. That's what he commands. Again, I'm not making this up. Approach the throne of grace with, what's the word? And what does it mean? Speak freely with God. That's what he says. That's what he commands. Why is this important? It says, let us approach the throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in a time of need. Let me tell you what help is. It comes from the image of a ship in the midst of turbulent waters. And what they do when a ship is in turbulent waters, and in those days they weren't welded, they were kind of hammered together, if it was particularly precarious, they would take a rope and they would tie the rope around the ship. It was called frapping the vessel. And the reason why you frap the vessel is to keep the vessel from splitting in half. That's the image of the kind of help that God gives. Isn't that interesting? We're being divided by disparate desires and rather than split, you know what God does? He fraps. Because you're going to have to live with yourself, and you're not just going to want one thing, and God knows a hundred years from now you're only going to want one thing. This side of eternity you're going to want several things. And a kingdom divided against itself cannot stand. You know what? It's time. We're not, the internal battle is not supposed to increase. We're supposed to be honest about it. With who? With him. He already knows it. And what he'll do, he traps us. He helps us to live in our own skin. Live in our own skin. Truth, I don't like some of the things I think. I don't like some of the things I feel. I don't like some of the things I do. Anybody else? Do that? Anybody else there? How can we live with ourselves? You know what God says? This is what you need. You need to be frapped. You know how you get frapped? By approaching the throne of grace with parousia. Speak freely to him about the things that are happening. You know what he says he'll give you? The mercy and grace that will help you to stay together. 
without splitting, without splitting things off, becoming a hypocrite and a pretender. That comes as we open ourselves up to him, holds us together. We find the same we find the same thing elsewhere in the Bible. It says in Romans 8, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. That word for helps, again, the two words for help that capture what God does have this same sense. One is frapping. That's the one we see in Hebrews. In Romans 8, 26, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. And what that's describing is Influence that keeps forces together that want to split apart. What it's talking about is what happens in the nucleus, in the, in, in the nucleus of a cell, where there are negative particles, and those negative particles want to separate. They want to separate. And there is something within that cell that contains that separation and keeps it together. That's the image of the spirit. The image of the spirit is frapping. The influence of the Spirit is fusing, holding together. We tend to think what God is ultimately about is fission. I have bad and good, and it's God's desire to get rid of the bad, keep the good, to split it. That's not what God's Spirit does. He doesn't do this. He does this for the time being. Because the problem is craving contempt and conflict. And for that to stop, the internal war has got to be calmed down. How can that happen? Look at you, and then you look at him looking at you. Then hear him speaking to you. Then you speak to him. The question is, do we have enough faith? Why you listen to me? Do we have enough faith in his being Helios to be honest with him about what's happening inside? Or do we hide things from him? Hide things. Or, not hide things, hurl them at others. It's your fault. It's your fault. It's your fault. And we get mad at others and hold them responsible because we don't have what I want. So sometimes we hide, hurl, or huddle. We huddle with others. Well, at least we're not them. Did you see what she did? Did you see it? And so we hide, hurl, and huddle. You know what God wants us to do? Hold. And hold his hand at the same time. You know what you can do? You can live like this, you know. You can hold in your hand things that are hard to hold. But if you hold your his hand at the same time, this is doable a day at a time. It really is sustainable. It takes time to learn, though. It takes time to learn. Um, what prevents us from speaking freely with God? I'm going to suggest three things. And there's an article. I'm not going to read the article. It's in there. But would you agree? Pretense, fear, and shame. Why don't we speak freely? Pretense, fear, and shame. Right? And you know what this section of the book of Hebrews says? Nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. Everything is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of him we must give account. What does God know? What does God know? If God knows everything, we don't need to pretend. He already knows it. We have to we have to figure out what he knows. 
He knows everything. And when we understand what he knows, we don't have to pretend. It doesn't make sense. But pretense isn't the only thing. Fear is an issue, isn't it? Fear. If I'm honest with him, boy. But it says, but we do not have a high priest who wasn't able to sympathize with our weaknesses. You know what a high priest is good at? Dealing with sinners. That's what he does. He represents a sinful people before a holy God. And he's good at it. If you don't have a sin problem, you don't need a high priest. You have no business with him. If you have a sin problem, the high priest is your best friend. Ah! So, because of who he is, what does he know? What does he know? And when we understand what he knows, we don't need to, we don't need to pretend. When I understand who he is, who is he? He's a great high priest. When I understand who he is, you know what I don't need to do? I don't need to be afraid. I don't need to be afraid of him because he's good at dealing with people who deal with what I deal with. He's a high priest. Sometimes we feel like I've got to fix the sin problem before I come to God. You've got it backwards. He's the safe one. He's the one you bring the sin problem to. Why? Because he's a high priest. We get pretense fear and the big one for some of us is shame. Even when we come to him, our senses. No, that's the that's the the universal symbol for shame. I have to turn my face away from him. That's shame. You know what God says? I sympathize with your weaknesses. I sympathize. He didn't sin, but he sympathizes. If you come up across a person, you feel shamed, and somebody sits down in front of you and they understand, you know what you're going to want to do? You're going to want to open up with them, and you're going to want to start opening up because you see it in their eyes. I don't need to be afraid of this person. I don't need to be ashamed. So he is, he how he feels, he sympathizes with your weaknesses. When you understand how he feels, you don't need to be ashamed. Remember the three things? Remember the three things that stand in the way of honesty? Pretense, fear, shame. You know what he tells us? He tells us what he knows. Because then we don't need to pretend. He tells us who he is, a high priest. So we don't need to be afraid. He tells us how he feels. He sympathizes with our weaknesses. So we don't need to be ashamed. And if we don't need to be pretending and fearful and shameful, you know what we can do? We can approach the throne of grace with, and what's the word? Parisia. We can speak freely with them. Not only can we speak to God because he's gentle. We can be gentle when we speak freely with God. Um, speaking freely, and I'm about done. Speaking freely is, I just want you to know, and this is important, speaking freely is not nice. I'm not telling you to do a nice thing, a good thing, pleasant thing. This is not pleasant, nor is it easy, and it's not nice. It's hard to face things that we feel and think and do. It's not nice. It's necessary. 
Look what, look what Philippians says. Let your gentleness be evident to all. How do we get gentle? The Lord is near. This tells us how to be more gentle. Do not be anxious about anything. What gets in the way of gentleness? Anxiety. But in everything, by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. The peace of God guards our hearts and minds. It erects a perimeter. This is a military presence. The peace of God isn't nice feelings. It's not God saying, there, there, it's okay, my little wookums. <laughs> that, that's just not, just so you know, that's not the image of a peace. The peace is the UN peacekeeping force. It's a military presence. That's the image guards our hearts and minds so that they can focus on Christ Jesus. So when we present our requests to him, when we are honest with him, he dispatches his peace, which erects a military perimeter to allow our hearts and minds to stay focused on Jesus. Here's my question. If we have issues and we keep them to ourselves, do we experience this peace that God, do we experience the full extent of peace that God wants us to experience? We do not. So why do we need to pray? God already knows why we, why we, what we want. Why do we have to ask Him? One of the images is because when we present our request to God, He dispatches His peace that allows our hearts and minds to stay focused on Christ. I have a question. Is it possible for us to remain focused on Christ without speaking freely with God? I don't think so. Not to the degree God would have us. Now, all of us are en route here. And we're all, none of us are at the finish line. We deal with craving, contempt, conflict. We all have things to learn. But what God wants us to do is to approach the throne of grace with parousia, to open ourselves to him because he gives us his peace that allows us to, to be removed from the craving, contempt, and conflict, pouring contempt on ourselves. What a lousy person I am. How can we get past that? Contempt on others. Did you hear what she did? She's different off. What do we do to get rid of that? Approach the throne of grace with parousia, to be open with him, honest with him. That's what he seems to say. Talking openly with God causes him to give us what, he doesn't cause us to give him what we want. God's not going to give us everything we want. He's not going to allow us to do everything we want to do or feel everything we want to feel. Because then we wouldn't need to approach the throne of grace with parousia. We're going to be in tense, challenging situations. And what he wants to teach us is to be honest with him. Here are the four things. Worship team's going to come up. In order to decrease the distance, uh, here's the way it goes. Yeah. I look at me, and there's an order to this. I look at me. Honestly, I identify what's there. Then you look at me. Then you speak to me. And I speak to you. And on a daily basis, it starts to decrease the distance we feel between God and us. 
Father, thank you for um, sending Jesus and reflecting your face clearly in him and for the truth then of, of what you know and who you are and how you feel, what you would have us leverage faith in those things to approach the throne of grace with confidence, parousia, in order that we might receive mercy and find grace to help us in time of need, to frap us, infuse us. I pray that you would continue to allow us to understand these things so that we can be more gentle, so that we can be more like Jesus, in whose name we pray. Amen.